While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrell. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Hey, welcome back to the show. Uh, Sheriff-elect Paul Haro has uh, decided graciously to stay with us for another hour here in studio, talk about his transition plans, and talk about uh, and take your calls uh, at 508-996-0500 if you want to call in, or take your app chat messages. We've gotten a lot of app chat messages in. Um, that's how people want to communicate today. That's fine, too. So um, let's, uh, let us know uh, if you have any questions for Sheriff-elect Haro. I want to continue the immigration conversation a, a little bit Um because, uh, you know, you'd said it's not a priority of yours. Um, well, let me be clear about what it's not a priority. It's not saying it's not important, okay, because I did say it's not my priority, you know, but that's – I don't want that to be clu- confused with me saying it's not important. It is important, but it's not where I'm going to spend a lot of my political capital. It's not where I'm going to really direct a lot of my efforts because, again, my border is with Rhode Island, not yeah. – Mexico. Are you going to keep the ICE detention facility closed? If you change, if leadership changes hands, um, Secretary Mayorkas may be inclined to award an ICE contract to the Bristol County House of Correction. Would you be seeking one or would you refuse one if you got one? I'm not going to do either seek it or necessarily refuse it. I would ask what's in it for us. Okay. Like, what, what, you know, are, can we, are we going to financially benefit from this? Are we going to get additional training for this? Are they going to give us extra staff for it? I mean, like, what's in it for us? Sure. It's, um, you know, my job is not to do the federal government's job. Mm-hmm. But if there is something in it for us, if we, one of the things that uh, some folks on my campaign team told me about was that the, the state auditor looked at this, and I'm, I, hopefully I'm remembering things correctly. I could be remembering things wrong. But in Bristol County... We were only getting, I think it was something uh, ninety or a hundred dollars per person per day for the um, the ice de- for to be an ice detainee, but it was actually okay. costing us one hundred and forty ish. Okay, I, I could be so I might I might have those numbers incorrect, but you know, but basically we were actually losing money on it, not necessarily gaining. So again, I'm repeating myself. I, if I would ask, what's in it for us? Like, what do we get out of this? And you know, because I don't want to be doing their job, and I certainly don't want to cost the county money. So we're speaking with Sheriff-elect Paul Haro. We're taking your calls or your app chat messages, 508-996-0500. So um, you talked about Beacon Hill earlier. You were in Beacon Hill for like eight or so years. Five, five, five years. years. Yep, sorry, five, two, five years. Two and a half terms. I was elected to three terms, but served two and a half. So you were ele- you served in Beacon Hill for a while. You had support from some of your former colleagues in Beacon Hill. I remember Tony Cabral had a speech with you in New Bedford. Uh, Diana Desaglio, who's now the auditor elect, had a had called you an independent voice in the in the legislature. Um, are you going to use your relationship with Beacon Hill to advocate for? Um, better funding uh, for some of the stuff that you want to do or just for the correction, the operation of the correction system more broadly? The short answer is yes, but then I have to look at what exactly am I going to be advocating for? I mean, as um, you know, somebody who's in the role of running the organization and you're dependent upon state funding, you're always going to ask for more funding because then you can mm-hmm. do more things, pay people better, you know, hire more people, do more programming. Um, so the, the short answer is yes, but then again, Getting inside, figuring out what do we need to uh, fund better, 
yeah. then I can go up to Beacon Hill with an agenda. Um, you know, like a wish list of things. Diana Zaglino, she and I actually came in together as freshman state representatives in 2013. And Tony Cabral, for four years of my five years up there, I served on his um, bond you, committee. Yeah. Oh, the, the bond committee. He yeah, was, he was chair. Yeah, he was yeah, the chair yeah. of the bond committee. And so I served on that for two of his. Actually, that was one that when I was assigned to that as a freshman, I was like, oh, my God, that's going to be boring. Yeah. Wow, that was a great committee it's to be on. Committee, it was yeah. a really important because I learned about all the different state departments, like in yeah. uh, Commonwealth departments, you know, Massachusetts departments, um, you know, not to be confused with the federal state department, sure. but the, um, yeah, that, that actually, I really liked it. And Tony was, uh, you know, I think I, he and I were the only two people who were consistently there every single time. It wasn't an exciting committee, but wow, it was, it was a really useful one. It was, I learned a lot about state government and, you know, it was, um, yeah, I, 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 I just really liked it. Yeah, it was so we're speaking with Sheriff-elect Paul Harrell. We're taking your calls and app chat messages as well if you want to ask him a question. So um, I, I guess the, the next question is, you know, you, there's a lot of talk about, like you said, housing, health care, and a job was the points that you hit on uh, when you were campaigning. Uh, there was a lot of talk about measuring the rate of recidivism, which mm-hmm. is the rate in which people reoffend basically and end up back in the correction system after they're released. You want to measure that. That's something that you want to do. And you said you're going to be able to do it very easily. Can yeah. you explain like how more or less? Yeah. The first thing we have to do is define it. And our definition doesn't have to be consistent with all the other county jails because I'm, I'm, I want to know what we're doing here. So there's a couple different ways you can define it. You can define it as somebody who is um, rearrested. And, you know, who leaves the jail, who was previously sentenced, but leaves the jail and then is rearrested. Um, but then you can also look at it if we were resentenced, um, excuse me, not resentenced, reconvicted and then resentenced. That's another yeah. one. So you can just look if you were readmitted, um, just if you like reincarcerated, that could be another definition of it. So the first thing is doing that. The second thing is then looking at like over what period of time, sure. starting at, you know, whatever year it is we want to look at. Um, we look at all the inmates that were, that left the facility and then how many came back into our facility or how many were uh, rearrested or how many were resentenced. And you have to go to the BOP for that is, you know, board of probation. So, you know, and that's, all the data is there. It, it's just it's doing data extracts with the IT departments and then putting it on an Excel spreadsheet and sorting it out. I did this when I was 32 years old working in Philadelphia at the Philadelphia jail system, which is a system 20 times larger than Bristol County. So it's something that, you know, just measuring the basic rate of recidivism for Bristol County. Um, there's a lot of little moving pieces in it, but it's, you know, it's not rocket science. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a operational definitions, getting the information out and then just putting it down. It's a, it's basically a descriptive statistic. We're just describing how many people were here and then how many people came back in. And you can define that different ways. The more complicated task is looking at, and it's still achievable, but it's looking at which programs work and which ones don't work. Um, looking at, you know, again, the drug treatment programs, the anger management programs, the GED programs, what, how, what are the rates of recidivism for people that participate in those? That's more complicated because then you have to have a control group. This mm-hmm. is where you get a little bit, you know, kind of technocratic and wonky, but this is just modern government administration. This is, you know, this is what you need to do. Um, you know, it's, uh, I mean, a lot of people, you know, oh, the sheriff, you know, is going to round them up and, you know, like arrest people and hold, you know, stick it to the illegal immigrants for coming here illegally. 
all that's really emotional and but the real management is coming into this technocratic stuff so um, and that's where you have a treatment group and a control group and then the, you're comparing apples to apples and then you look to see whether or not the rate uh, again you define your what recidivism means it can be defined a lot of different ways and it doesn't have to be consistent with other jails it, it's not important it's just what are we doing here and then just defining that so one of the conversations well, when when Sheriff Hodgson had taken over, he famously got rid of televisions and then later got rid of weights. There was some conversations about the meal apportionments, um, uh, but uh, I guess there's been speculation that you might bring those amenities or back to the House of Correction for the uh, for inmates. Will there, I guess the question is, will there be um, additional recreational amenities such as televisions, weight sets, et cetera, available for inmates at the Bristol County House of Corrections when you take over? You know, it, it's funny. Um, I haven't said one way or the other what I'm going to do on this. And so it's funny that you say the speculation on it because I haven't said which direction I would go in on that, yeah. because quite honestly, I don't know. Um, it would be a conversation I have with the security staff and also other sheriffs looking at the utility of that. Um, most of the people that are there are awaiting trial. They haven't been sentenced for anything. And so, you know, treating them like a criminal when they are awaiting trial is inappropriate. And so we, they're awaiting trial probably because they haven't been able to post bail. Or maybe sometimes they have a, a, a sentence, um, you know, offense, you know, a charge where they, um, you know, they're not, they're not going to be allowed to post bail. You know, it's, it's oh, a yeah. dangerousness issue. So, you know, but I haven't commented on that, but that's a conversation I would have with security staff and with other sheriffs and you say, okay, what are the rest, you know, look, you know, you looking to see what works in other places. When I was working in DOC and when I was working in Philadelphia jail system, those things were present mm-hmm. and you know it's um you know it's, sometimes they are used as uh pacifiers you know to kind of you know keep if uh, a bored inmate is a problem inmate and okay. inmate is bored is a problem because an inmate if they're bored you know they're not being rehabilitated mm-hmm. and if they're bored they can also learn about new criminal endeavors um, if they're bored, you know, they, you know, learn new ways to, you know, do things wrong. Um, you know, so it's, it's just, I don't want to see bored inmates. I mean, that's not, you know, whether you're waiting trial or you're criminally sentenced, you know, for a misdemeanor, you know, two and a half years to last some, some felonies, as you know, but that's, um, like I said, I haven't, Rumors are endemic well, in politics. Most people stay in there six months, right? Yeah, exactly. Like They're not there a long time. You know, yeah. Yeah, you're there for stupid stuff. For most people, for the most part, yeah. Most part, yeah. Yeah, it can get it can get more serious, but most most likely it's 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 um, relatively innocuous. Uh, so um, we're here with Sheriff Elect Hero. Uh, if you have any questions, you can call at five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. That's how you can get on the program. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of an early break, and then we've got. Uh, I'm going to have some more questions for you. So let's take a break. We'll be right back. Sounds good. Download the W on the app chat if you want to. If you want to app chat, uh, Sheriff Elect Hero, you can uh, on the WBSM app chat. Uh, if you want to um, call, you can at five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Seems like everybody prefers the app chat method today. Uh, but people within the facility all say you have said you want to eliminate the canines. So the K-9 unit, the Bristol County House of Correction, what she's saying is people in the facility said that you want to eliminate K-9s. Is that true? 
I haven't said one way or the other. So rumors are endemic in this business. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, like we've said that before. Just, it's, how I, it's how I get by. Yeah, I mean, rumors are just, <laughs> I mean, like, people just, they just make stuff up all the time. You know, yeah. just make it up. I don't know, like, you know, I heard this. Uh, where'd you hear that from? I don't know. Somebody just thought it, you know. So sure. um, I haven't said one way or the other. I'd like to, again, go in, assess, find out what the utility is. Um, I did, I was talking to, um, Oh, I was talking to a gentleman who actually works for the Mass Department of Correction. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's a, a assistant superintendent at one of the facilities. I don't want to say which one. Um, you know, I just want to identify him. But we were just talking over the weekend, and he was telling me how in one particular jail they use the canines for, uh, you know, like a threat. They use the canines to threaten the inmates. Hey, get under control or mm-hmm. bring the dogs in, and the dogs are going to bite you. Okay. Yeah, that's not going to happen under me. <laughs> that's not going to happen. So you know, we're not going to use the dogs to threaten inmates because that's, you know, I, I think that's cruel and inhumane. Um, to, well, the, you know, the, the dogs were involved, uh, were also the subject of the, um, the May 1st, the May 20. Yeah, yeah, they were, right. they played yeah. a big role in that. So, yeah, uh, when I, I mean, anybody that knows my background, just Google search Paul Hero dog cancer. You'll find, you know, where I am with dogs. It's, it's, you know, it's, I have a, a deep love and appreciation for dogs, um, you know, and I, I, you know, but we're not going to use dogs as a, a tool of a threat to uh, inmates. I, I don't find that to be, you know, I, I don't even think that's constitutional. I think that's, you know, possibly an Eighth Amendment violation because it's, you know, the, the psychological torture you're doing to somebody yeah. is uh, a bit extreme. You know, in the, the lasting damage of it, you know, somebody I've been bit nine times by dogs, by the way. Yeah. You know, just as a side note, you know, I have a dog myself. I'm, you know, I've been bit nine times. I'll take a dog bite over a bee sting any day. Bee stings are much <laughs> worse. I've been bitten yeah. in the face by a dog. I've been bitten in the mauled on by you know, in my leg. But uh, like I said, though, I, we're not going to use a dog as a weapon of intimidation or a weapon of, uh, you know, threat to, um, you know, I, I just think that's inappropriate. So we got more app chat messages here, but we're, we got calls on the line at 508-996-0500. That's how you can get on if you want to ask the sheriff-elect a question. Good evening. You're live. Yeah, I'd like to uh, ask the sheriff-elect a question. Sure. Um, is he familiar with the Are You OK program? Yes, I am familiar with that program. And, uh, okay. yeah, that's when a lot of people have asked me if I'm going to be cutting it, and I have not said I'm going to cut it. Um, I, you know, as I was telling Marcus uh, during a, one of the breaks we've had, if I wanted to get away from a program, I wouldn't just cut the program and leave people who are dependent upon that program out in the cold. You know, I wouldn't do that. So if, the short answer is no, I'm not cutting that. The longer okay. answer is, if I wanted to move away from that, I would find a new home for it with some other group in the community. You would ensure its continuity. Exactly. I would ensure its continuity. Okay. So so the short answer is, no, I'm not cutting it. But if at some point I want to get away from that, then I'll find a new home. So it, people continue to get that service. They just might not get it from the Bristol County Sheriff's Office. Um, but I, I hope that answers and puts your mind at ease about that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for the call. 508-996-0500. Good evening. You're live with the sheriff-elect. Hi. Uh, congratulations. Uh, my, my in particular is, is concerning uh, food. Uh, uh, you're not going to discipline anybody, are you, by using food, weaponizing food, <laughs> uh, bare minimum daily requirement, calorie counts, and all that. Uh, that's not your gig, is it? No, it's not. So let's talk about food. Okay, so I have um, you know background psychology and neuroscience. That was my bachelor's degree. And one of the things, you know, I'm going to talk about this gentleman named Adrian Rain. This is where I'm kind of called a little bit of a technocrat and an academic. 
But let's talk about Adrian Rain. Adrian Rain used to be a professor at the University of Southern California, and then he went over to the University of Pennsylvania. Just by coincidence, I happened to be at both those institutions, you know, when I got my bachelor's at one and master's in criminology at the other. One of the things he looked at is, um, brain, you know, diets and impulse control and brain development. And he did some research in the Mauritius Island, just off the uh, east coast of Africa. And so he basically gave, um, he, it was a controlled experiment. It was rare to do something like this. But what he looked at was giving kids um, a diet rich in omega-3 fatty acids versus um, a, uh, a, a control group of kids who didn't get a, you know they had they continued on with the same diet they had always been eating yeah. and they looked at it over the course of a long period of time they looked at it over the course of years and they looked at the uh, like the behavioral outcomes and the kids who got the um the diet rich in omega-3 fatty acids were m- much better with impulse control because we know that the uh, you know the brain development continues on over the course of time basically up until you're about your mid-20s and we have a lot of people who are in jail they're very young so it's in our interest to give that, and for a lot of reasons, it's in our interest to make sure that they have a, a proper healthy diet, not a diet that's just sticking it to you because you want to make life miserable and if you don't like it, don't come back. That's not the right, uh, that's not a crime prevention strategy. A real crime prevention strategy is to look at the, the data and say, how can we give them a proper nutritional diet? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, we're going to order from D'Angelo all the time and we're going to get, you know, pizza in there. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, you know, having, um, you know, a beef serganoff or, you know, you know, like, sure. I'm, I'm talking about having an appropriate diet for brain development. So that's one aspect of it. And that's in our interest. Another aspect is proper, you know, when you teach people proper nutrition, hopefully they'll continue on with that when they get back into society. And that's part of discharge planning, setting people up for success. Because again, if you have a good diet, it does affect your impulse control. It affects your behavior. It affects your mood. And that's something that if we can teach people that, you know, how to properly take care of themselves, it, you know, that'll translate into better crime outcomes, um, you know, with less crime. We, we know this is true. The research has been done. Now it's time to put that research into practice. That, that's, you know, that's the, the, the kind of bridging the gap between the academic world and the world of practice. It's finding out ways we can um, make people better off. So that, that would be my approach. And that sounds kind of technocratic and, and sort of academic. But Well, it does sound yeah. that way, but it's not. I agree with you 100%. I think you've looked into this. You probably uh, you've got so much knowledge on it, you could take the whole hour. But, uh, you know, but seriously, uh, what you just said to me is really astounding. It's uh, it's almost like the answers are there. We just got to look. And you, I think you found an area to look into. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I wish you success. And i uh, just like to say, though, if you do have trouble with some particular pods uh, and you find out who the person is and maybe they're not political maybe they just need a, uh, a screening for bipolar and they'll calm down and with a good diet you won't have any uprisings from that particular individual yeah. th- 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 i really think you should consider uh, administering uh, tests very cheap very easy to do uh, it changed my life for better and it's just a simple one, you know, maybe a one-on-one with a counselor or whatever. And anybody that is drawing your, your attention or your staff's attention, I, I would check them for bipolar. I think they come in with the bipolar, a lot of them. I think that the, some of the criminal things that they do is, is sometimes they get in the jail, use jails at a hotel because they have bipolar and they can't critically think or really problem-solve anything in their own lives because of the 
very simple thing, bipolar. Sir, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Yeah. You know, I, I actually, I've had, when I was practicing, I had a number of clients uh, tell me that um, they're more comfortable incarcerated because of the routine it gives them. Mm-hmm. So one one person as young as in their early 20s, which to me was incredibly sad, um, you, you know, how do you make that environment more transitionable from being in the house of correction to being out there in the in the outside world and being able to function properly i shouldn't say function properly but you know be successful be successful yeah yeah Yeah. so it's uh step down planning is what we basically call it you know you when when i was working at the doc um Whenever you know we had somebody who was being released from maximum security to the street, there was a panic. How the hell did that happen? Was what the question of the day was. How did this person go from you know maximum security, uh, you know, or isolation, being released to the street? How did they slip through the cracks? Because let me tell you, they are not ready for it. That transition is they they're gonna they're gonna lash out. They're gonna end up right back inside. So it's basically just having a proper step down plan going on. Um, I don't know what that looks like inside Bristol County right now. Maybe it's being done right. Maybe there's room for improvement. I don't know, but it is something I'm gonna look at though. So we're speaking with Sheriff-elect uh, Paul Haro. We're taking your calls at 508-996-0500. We're taking your app chat messages. We've gotten a few app chat messages uh, as well. Um, so I guess this is more of the conversation uh, about the TVs and weights uh, in the um, in the House of Correction. But uh, one said, inmates have tablets, no need for individual TVs. Um, I mean... Uh, I don't know that inmates have tablets there. Do you? I, I've not heard that before, but you know, I mean, do they? I don't. I don't know. I mean, I just. I just it's one know. of those things you're going to have to just. Yeah. You're going to have to get the landscape mm-hmm. of of what exactly is available and what could or should be available to them after, you know, based on you know whatever information that you have. Um, so uh, and uh, so that was from William in New Bedford. Thank you for messaging us, William. Uh, that's uh, another one from Dartmouth. Uh, are you aware of the assault on correction officer that took place with weights at MCI Shirley earlier this year? So I guess that's another concern about yeah. uh, uh, correction officer safety with the uh, with weights being present. Okay, so by that logic, I know what somebody's saying, and I am aware of that assault. By that logic, if one person misused the weights, does that mean we should get rid of all weights everywhere? By that logic, if one person misuses a gun, does that mean we should get rid of guns everywhere? Sure. By that logic, if somebody abuses welfare, should we diso- get rid of welfare everywhere? Yeah. If somebody misuses alcohol, should we get rid of all alcohol? So I, I don't like using that logic of well it happened one time yeah. over here so should we then you know is, is it reason for concern of course there's a reason for concern but it doesn't mean we make a decision based on a case sample of one yeah. you know we we need uh you know to look at like a broader uh, uh i know broader context of sure. what these things go on so like uh, when, when people, oh, what happened over here? Somebody could do it over here. Well, yeah, that's right. And somebody abused a gun over here. So should we get rid of all the guns? Yeah. I think all the conservatives are going to say no. Was, oh, somebody abused welfare. Should we get rid of all welfare? I think all the liberals are going to say no. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of making general sweeping, get, you know, categorizations by right. that. But you know, but um, because something unfortunate yeah. happened here with an amenity that the uh, the inmates use, and not all the inmates, and in fact, the overwhelming overwhelming majority of inmates. 
uh, haven't used it in that way. Right. That doesn't mean you should punish them at the expense of this one person's or because of this one person yeah. person's actions. So, um, so the, the next question I, I'm I'm going to have is about uh, suicides uh, mm-hmm. at the Bristol County House Correction. It became a major issue mm-hmm. towards the end of the election, particularly with the uh, incident of Adam Howe, and then it was revealed in the uh, by Ben Burke in the public's radio that there was an uh, another woman that same night that that tried to kill herself but was unsuccessful. Uh, tried to hang herself. Um, how? Uh, what? Su- what do you do? You have in mind any suicide protocols um, that you want to do that you don't think the sheriff's department is doing? What What are you going to change to prevent? Uh, suicides from happening at the apparent frequency that they happen to Bristol County House Correction. Well, I'm glad you identified as apparent frequency because suicides happen everywhere. They do. Yeah. The problem is they happen at a disproportionately higher rate in Bristol County right now. Sure. And the old number was um, 25% of the... Um, it was over a period of time. I forgot the number like of years. Like 2006 to 2017 or 18. Yes, 2017. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there was we had uh, 25% of the suicides in the state. But yeah. then our, um, Arthur Hirsch and Eleanor Bianchi, the, if I pronounced it right, um, they... At New Bedford Light. New Bedford Light. Yeah. Yep, they looked at this and they actually found that it went up from 25% to 33% in the years afterwards. Yep. So it, it's we have 13% of the state inmates in jails, but then we have 33% of the, um, I think it was 33, 34, 35, something of that magnitude um, of the suicide. So suicides are you know, a really, a really serious issue. They happen both inside jail and outside jail. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I'm glad you qualify that as, you know, at the frequency, at the rate, um, because I've never claimed that I'll be able to stop them from happening altogether. Of course, that's yeah. going to be the goal. Um, day one, I want to meet with uh, staff, you know, the uh, the intake, find out how are they classifying people? What do you do? Because I, I have my own basic understanding of it. And, you know, they um, might satisfy that basic understanding, but that's just day one. But then at a, sometime very near in the future, it's also bringing in an outside group, uh, maybe having the Department of Correction come in and do an audit. Uh, of the uh, our practice because the DOC um, have different standards than ours. There are you know the DOC standards, as I understand, they are a lot uh, higher than the standards in the jails it, because it's just they're diff- they run differently. And so having the DOC coming and doing an audit and finding out where we might be able to uh, improve, that's important. You know, bringing in some t- uh, uh, outside consultants, outside vendors who specialize in this, uh, you know, even academics who work with a lot of different jails all over the country. Some people say, oh, my God, they're academics. Why would you bring them in? Because what their job is to do is on a case-by-case basis work with the institutions. Sure. Um, and then, you know, write up, uh, you know, data and reports on you know, large, you know, patterns and trends. You know, look at best practices, measure what works. That's why you work with academics. Um, you know, they, they, they serve a role. So there's a lot of different things that, you know, I can do on my own, like it's limited, but then bring in the DOC, uh, look at there and then bring in another layer is, you know, the people that specialize in this. Um, This is where, you know, come in and I, we had a difference of opinion. I think it was just, it was a difference in the way we approach it. My approach is that if we say we're doing everything we can, we're never going to get better. Yeah. And that's what. You know, Sheriff Hodgson said, Sheriff Hodgson would say, yeah, we're doing everything we can. It just, it, this, we, you know, we're doing everything we're supposed to. We're, we're running a, you know, a top notch organization. If that's the, the attitude, then you're, it, you're never going to improve. You know, you have to be self, somewhat self-critical. You have to always be looking to improve yourself and be better. You know, you have to be able to say, 
you know, be able to have a, an ego, not, this is not a dig on him, but it's dig on anybody who is, you know, in a management position, but you have to have an ego strong enough to say, maybe I'm not doing the best job I could, right. you know, maybe, maybe we can do better. And, you know, and you can't have a fragile ego and say, no, no, we can't, we can't possibly do them better. We're doing as good as we can. So, you know, I, I think that's a really, that's, that's important, you know, be, be self-critical. So we're speaking with Sheriff Alec Paul Haro. Uh, we're taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. We're also taking your calls at 508-996-0500. That's how you can get in the program. I don't really want to relitigate the campaign. It's over. Um, I do, I guess, want to just address this thing that's, been frankly annoying me uh because republicans are all of a sudden uh campaign finance reformists uh i I, I love that you know well my thing is is, is that everybody complaining about the 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 money that's coming to the race they don't unbeknownst to them have voted for it their entire lives um they voted for these exact policies their entire lives and will continue to do so but um what do you have to say about uh the money that came in behind you in your uh in your campaign against Sheriff Hodgson, there was about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars, I guess, uh, total, something like yeah. that. I've got a lot of things to say about this. First of all, number one, Republicans and conservatives, you asked for it mm-hmm. when you pushed for Citizens United. Yeah. You got exactly what you asked for, and this is what the consequence of Citizens United is: it's yeah. that outside money. That's number one. Number two, Sheriff Hodgson also asked for this. He kind of called this attention on himself when he became a national figure going on One American Network and Newsmax and Fox News. Sure. When he did that espousing the uh, you know policies he espoused, which I'm not judging those right now, um, those brought him a lot of attention on yeah. both sides. You know, it was it made him very popular, but also it made him very hated. Yeah. And so when Joe Arpaio is the best uh, exa- comparison I can I can bring, and I said that right. early in the race that this was a very similar to the Joe Arpaio race, and, and basically, but he brought that on himself. Yeah. When I ran, I when I ran for mayor, I didn't get all this money from outside support. I was, I was outspent, I think, almost every time. Maybe, I don't know, every time. But it was uh, certainly in my first race. Um, in fact, in my first race for mayor, Charlie Baker had a political action committee. And he went after me there. He went after me in my second race, in my third race. And then this one, actually, he's, he's 0-4 with me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, so that dark money went against me. And I had no outside money helping me on my race for mayor. Nobody cared. Okay, yeah. so because the the opponents that I had were not high profile opponents, yeah. so it's Hodgson's own policies that brought this high profile uh, money coming in from outside. So that's number two. He he brought this on himself. Number three is that Charlie Baker also supported Hodgson with six figures. Yeah. Not as much as the outside group supported me, but ha- but Hodgson start. It, yeah, it made spending uh, based on the reporting to Bedford Light spending between you and Hodgson was fairly close based it on was. the total of spending because Hodgson started off with about three hundred two ninety. Yeah, he started so he in January Hodgson started off with two hundred ninety thousand, and the most recent time I've looked at OCPF, it was maybe a week or two ago. He he had raised about two hundred fifteen thousand dollars this year. I started off with thirty dollars in a website. I started with 30 and I raised about 170 something, you know, maybe less than 175,000. So he raised more than me this year and he started with 
a lot more than me. So he did have a lot more money. Now, he also, he didn't take in as many donations. I I took in a lot more donations than he did. You know, I I had smaller donors and a lot greater in number, but he took in more money. So, you know, but the, you know, so some people actually, there's one person that we talked about earlier. um, She said, Paul, the only reason you won this race, she put this on my Facebook page. The only reason you won this race is because the outside groups bought it for you. To which I would respond, the only reason I won this race is because Hodgson created the policies that led to that money coming in. Yeah. You know, so the only reason I won this, you know, if any one of my campaign elements had been missing, if I didn't, if I didn't personally knock on 12,000 doors, I would have lost this race. Yeah. If my campaign volunteers were not out holding signs at busy intersections, I would have lost this race. Yeah. If my campaign volunteers weren't knocking on doors, if they weren't holding house parties for me, if they weren't doing their own phone banking, you know, if, if Hodgson didn't, if Hodgson didn't take that position on the border wall, I might have lost this race. It might have that, you know, that was only, I only won by 2,500 votes or so. That there might have been 2,500 people out of 180,000 that cast a vote that um, right. were outraged by that. So any one of those things could have changed the outcome. Sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, it was both hard work and collective action, essentially, whether it be from people and outside groups that wanted, um, you know, wanted Sheriff Hodgson out of office mm-hmm. and your own hard work and your campaign's hard work it, that got you elected. It was no one thing. It was all of those things. Now, when I ran for mayor uh, and won, you know, it was like I won with such yeah. huge margins that, you know, it could, you could have said, yeah, you, you know, you could have done away with this. If I had done any one thing differently, it w- mm-hmm. I, I would have likely lost. Just yeah. like if, if Hodgson had also not been so controversial... I would have lost. Yeah. So he actually brought this on himself. Now that's that's his, um, you know, that's his right as a, an elected official to pursue the policy issues that he did to campaign on the things. Yeah, he I mean, did. I, I yeah. think I think he believed in the stuff he was he saying. Does, yeah, yeah. So but, you know, but any one of those. So like I said, if Hodgson wasn't such a controversial figure, I would have lost. You know, so any one of these things um, were, were different. I mean, if the weather had been different, I might, you know, 2,500 votes out of 180,000, that's not a lot of votes. It's, a, it's, you know, so when they say, oh, that's the only reason you won this, it's, well, it's actually any, any one of those variables. You know, if we'd taken out any one of those, I, I would have probably lost. It could have gone the other way. 508-996-0500. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. 1420 WBSM can now be heard on 99.5 FM. You never know who will call in to South Coast tonight. But they want to hear from you most of all. Call 508-996-0500. Or use the WBSM app to send an app, chat, text message, or leave voicemail. Hey, welcome back. Let's go Let's go to the phones. Good evening. You're live with the Sheriff-Elect. Good evening, gentlemen. Hey, Shanine. I would like to say congratulations to Sheriff-Elect, and um, I like everything that you're talking about, and I think you're going to do very well, and I'm, I'm excited to see the outcome. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, and I appreciate your support. Um, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've got a six-year term. And, you know, it's it's going to be a lot of work, but um, this is changing the direction of an aircraft carrier, not a little, you know, a little jet ski. You know, it's going to, it takes time to change that. I got six years at least. Yeah, exactly. So, and, you know, I may only be a one-term sheriff. I, I If I can achieve the things I campaigned on in one term, 
then I'll probably not run for a second term, you know, but if I need that second term because we're kind of mid progress, then maybe I'll go for it. But, um, I, I don't want to be mayor for life and I'm not going to be sheriff for life. I, I don't think it's healthy and, you know, we'll turn it over to somebody else. But, um, but the things that I campaigned on, I'm serious about, they're achievable. They are, uh, they're things that can make a difference. And these are things that people trusted me to do and I'm going to push forward on them. And I like the way you look at things and then we do need change. So, I'm rooting for you. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. Okay. Good night. So uh, that's uh, so five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred, or you can message us on the app chat. Um, so you know, there's a little bit of a uh, flaw, a potential flaw in my own logic, though. If somebody says, "Well, you haven't achieved these things in your first term, why should you get a second term?" and it's all about the progress that we make, though. Don't campaign against yourself. Uh, well, I guess it'll be six years from now. <laughs> yeah, well, somebody somebody <laughs> might still use that against me in six years from now. But like I said, it's um. No, the thing is, is is, is you, you you campaigned on changing things, yeah. uh, and you got to go in and see how it is, and um. It might take a while. The yeah. office has been under uh, the same, you know, under Sheriff Hodgson for 25 years. You may want to do things differently, and that may take a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm always honest with myself. Or, there might, or you might have accomplished what you need to accomplish and found that there might be more to do either way. Well, the exact, I, we, people will see a lot of uh, progress in, you know, just especially with just the measuring of things. Um, you know, I'm, we're, we're going to measure recidivism. It's going to happen. You know, people, we're going to have, I'm going to define it, and, you know, people might say, Oh, I don't like that definition. Okay, fine. Well, you know that that's the definition we're using. Um, there's a lot of different ways to define recidivism, but um, you know we will do that. You know you're going to see a lot more advocacy on um, you know discharge planning, housing, healthcare, and a job. A lot more you know effort on increasing the resources being directed to um, rehabilitation programs. You know measuring the outcomes of those, publishing those, publishing the, res- uh, the not only what works but what doesn't work. If something doesn't work, that I want the public to know about that. You know, if even if it's a new program I bring on and the program isn't working, I'm going to let the public know about that. But then I'm going to tell them what we're doing about it. You know, that that's government at its finest. So um, I do want to ask you a question, just a little bit about what's going on in Attleboro. You have me now reading the Sun Chronicle more than I probably ever did. Uh, how long? Uh, when do you plan on stepping down from your role as mayor of Attleboro? Uh, as soon as the election results are finalized, which will be, um, I, you know, so. I thought I was going to be doing that Wednesday last week, but then the governor's council hasn't certified the election results yet. They have to vote on those. So uh, with a short, a very small margin of victory of, you know, 200, I'm sorry, 2,500 votes-ish, 2,500-ish, maybe even mm-hmm. less than that, um, you know, I, I would be foolish to submit a resignation before the results are final. Sure. Um, so I'm waiting for that to happen. That should happen before the 30th. So basically tomorrow or the day after. Okay. Um, it might even happen today on the 28th. I'm not really sure. But once those are done, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to submit a letter of resignation to the city clerk effective January 3rd. Mm-hmm. So that way the city council can then uh, pick a date for a special election and there's been a little bit of controversy about when the special election should have. Um, the city charter says basically right away, forthwith, have it right away without delay. Mm-hmm. There were some people who wanted to push the uh, special election back until uh, as far as April. And there were a lot, couple different reasons why people wanted to do that. And the election commission even first recommended that. But after looking at the city charter a little bit more closely, yeah. they said, oh, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do it right away. We're not supposed to push it back to avoid a second special election. There are some people who still want to see a, 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 
a special election be held later. And uh, I'm going to avoid the politics of why that is and what's going on with that. But, you know, there's a similar question that was, I remember, raised in Boston after Marty Walsh had left. Uh, they ended up doing the election in the fall. But it's something that I think the we're, we're grappling with here because we've got a special election for a city council seat that's been vacated. And uh, and um, another one that might come, depending on what M- Mayor Mitchell's going to do. But um, but uh, so actually, I want to talk to you about that. I know that you've had conversations with Council President Abreu. Um, mm-hmm. I had Mayor Mitchell on last week. He talked about some of the work that he, you know, the city office has done with the sheriff's department, the police department has done with the sheriff's department. Um, have you? Are you going to have a conversation with the mayors and uh, town administrators in the across Bristol County to to see how you can best work with them to to get the work of the sheriff's office done? Yeah, well, I'm going to start with the Bristol County Chiefs, please. You know, okay. so I'll start with them. And you know, as mayor, I, I've never worked with Hodgson before. He's never reached out to me, and you know, and I. Um, I, you know, I know he works with the police department, but, you know, it was, and, and I'm not faulting him for that, you know, that I'm not taking a dig at him for that or anything, you know, and sure. I don't know what his relationship is with the other three cities or the other, uh, you know, you know, the 16 municipalities throughout Bristol County, um, you know, but I'm going to start with the Bristol County Chiefs of Police and, um, you know, I mean, anybody who wants to talk to me, they can, they can call me, we can talk, you know, and I, you know, but really I'm running a jail. <laughs> of course. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break and then we'll be back to finish out the hour with Sheriff Elect Harrell. We'll take your questions as well. If you want to hear everything. Is, we can probably fit in a call or two. Um, we've got a few more minutes left with the Sheriff Elect, but uh, Sue from New Bedford, um, she's saying, you know, basically uh, the the good work that the canine unit does, uh, you know, to sniff out um, weapons or, or drugs and all of that. And said, you say you don't want the sheriff's office to do law enforcement. You didn't say that. You said that there's that. some law enforcement roles that they can play and you'll have to take it. You know, you'll have to look at what roles they will play. But you have said before that you, you do see uh, some you, you do see the possibility for a law enforcement role to continue, which would include keeping the canine units. But uh, not for attacking people, but for maybe more essential functions like, uh, you know, drug sniffing or bomb sniffing. Yeah. I mean, people oftentimes put words in my mouth. Um, you know, I guess they're simple minds. You know, forgive me. You know, I mean, but, um, you know, I, I don't appreciate when people put words in my mouth. If you're actually if you're accidentally misunderstanding something, you know, if, if you're, you know, you just sure that I can appreciate that. But, you know, I, I just ask people to pay attention a little bit more closely um, rather than come in with an agenda trying to blast me and put words in my mouth. So, you know, the I have never said that we're not going to do law enforcement. I said the main job of a sheriff is to run the county jail. And there is a role to work with law enforcement. That's what I've said. Um you know, so, you know, and I'm just going to stand by that. That's what I said. And I'm going to go in, look at what we're doing and, you know, assess if that was, if that actually has a legitimate role or not, you know, but, um, you know, one thing I said very de- de- uh, decisively is we're not going to use our dogs to uh, intimidate or, or to threaten inmates. I find that to be cruel to both the dogs and the inmates. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's as sheriff, that'll, that'll be my, you know, my prerogative. And that's just how it's going to be. Um, you know, so we're going to have to come up with it. If, if that's what's going on right now, that will come to a stop. But, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, other things I'll, you know, go ahead and, uh, look at things like, uh, on a case by case basis about what's going on, learn about it. But there are certain things I come in with just, you know, when I was a state rep, you know, there was a, uh, a state, another, uh, one state rep who said to me, follow your conscience first. 
your district second, and your party third, in that order. Conscience, district, party. Yeah. Similarly, conscience first, always, you know, and then, um, you know, the... You know, the district in this case would be, you know, the institution. And then third would be, you know, your party, your your ideology. So I put the Democrat ideology after the institution. Sounds like a whip that said that to you. No, actually, actually, it was a backbencher who oh, said that to okay. me. Really, it was. It was a, somebody who was not a committee chair or a vice chair. Um, you know, uh, Tom Calter. It was the state representative. Tom Calter actually said that to me, and it was a freshman rep. It was back in 2013, and I never forgot it. Um, but he was a backbencher like me. Oh. <laughs> so we're speaking with Sheriff Elect Paul Haro. Uh, we've got about a minute left. I do appreciate you coming on, uh, coming in studio. I know it's it's a bit of a drive for you, but uh, there was a lot of important questions asked either through the app chat or through the phone from the audience, and I think you answered them well. Uh, as you know, we'll talk to you more as your as your uh, as your tenure begins and and continues. Yeah, so, th- well, thanks, Margaret. Thanks for having me on and um, giving this opportunity to talk to you know the uh, listeners and. Hopefully it also put a lot of minds at ease uh, with people within the jail and, uh, you know, sure. because I know a lot, there's a lot of anxiety. Oh, my God, he's going to come and just start getting rid of everybody. That's not what I did as mayor, and that's not what I'm going to do now either. You know, there's, I'm, I'm going to make some changes. Um, some things, very small things, will happen immediately. Um, you know, like I said tonight, if that's going on with the dogs, that'll come to a stop immediately. Sure. Um, but there's other things that'll take time to implement. And, um, again, I could cause a lot of disruption to a very uh, dangerous environment if i were to uh, just go in and start making changes immediately okay so that's about our time if you're on the line i'll, I'll take your call in the next hour but sheriff uh, elect Hero, uh, our time is up here I, I do appreciate you coming on and answering the questions so we'll talk to you soon all right thanks marcus sounds good thanks.